This is a CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Sue Smith has been a librarian, an art critic, curator, historian, and an art museum director. She is also an accomplished artist in her own right. Today, she is CQ Uni's art collection manager and oversees the university's 1,000 artworks spread across the campus footprint and valued at almost $2.4 million. She is also the coordinator of CQ Uni's annual art competition, CQ Creates. Welcome to the grapevine, Sue. Thanks, Priscilla. When preparing for this interview, I came across an old news clipping about you that described you as having a Jimi Hendrix hairstyle. As um, as a high schooler, back in the 60s, I believe, and uh, that you were destined for life in the arts. Is that how you remember yourself? Um, probably, yes. I've probably calmed down a bit since then. But um, I think when I was in year 12, um, the stage show Hair was on, you know, so everyone had these wild hairdos. And I did really enjoy Jimi Hendrix and and, uh, you know, his music and um, used to go to bed with bobby pins in my hair so I could have all this curly hair in the morning and frizz it up so the teachers all thought it was a bit dubious, but never mind. (laughs) Can we just go back a little bit? Can you tell me about where you grew up and about what life was like as a child? Uh, I was born in Brisbane. I don't remember those very early years, but my parents, Jill and Eric, uh, were adventurous. My father was Canadian and he had travelled all around the world before he um, fetched up on a Norwegian merchant ship at the age of 21 in Melbourne and then trekked up to Queensland, met my mother. So he loved to travel. So from 1956 to 57, we lived at Mary Kathleen, um, the old uranium mining town, which is now a ghost town, about midway between Mount Isa and Cloncurry. So I would have been about four years old, I suppose. And um, I remember red dirt, Spinifex grass, the outdoor picture theatre, which had canvas seats but no roof or walls because it never rained. It was just hot and dry. And um, we had a VW, which my parents would um, put me in the back seat with a blanket and then they'd uh, go on these long journeys to Alice Springs or whatever. And my father would put heaps of books on the um, accelerator pedal because his foot got tired of holding it down. And, you know, so so that was sort of uh, fun. Um, then back in Brisbane, I went to Sunnybank Primary School. Uh, Sunnybank is quite built up now, but in those days it was all bush. And uh, it was bush and farms, mainly growing strawberries and beans and tomatoes. And so I had the sort of 50s, 60s childhood where we just got up in the morning, had breakfast and went out on our bikes and came back when it was dark. And um, one of the things I did was to um, pick beans on a Saturday at one of the farms and earn money. And then I would go horseback riding all day on Sunday because there was a uh, a pony riding school. So, um, yes, I was a a great childhood in that way. And I I was, I loved art. I always loved art, but I was mad about horses also. And I was dying to have a horse. And eventually um, my parents moved to, Park Ridge, which is um, now part of Logan City, but in those days was all bush and was part of the Bow Desert Shire. And um, 
I was at high school by this stage, so I did have this horse, so that was good. But I had to walk this immense journey. It took me about half an hour walking down this dirt road to get on the bus to go to high school. So, you know, I would get home about 5.30 or something at, at night. So so that was a bit of a challenge, but um, it was interesting too. And we started off with a a small sort of house that my father had built, a kind of temporary thing in a caravan that my sister and I shared as a bedroom. We thought that was great. And then eventually they built a proper house and whatever. But for a while we didn't have electricity and we had um, a wood stove and uh, even some of those old mother pots, flat irons to heat up on the stove and uh, tank water and um, uh, those kind of lamps that you, pressure lamps that you you light and and so on. So um, my mother's mother, my grandmother, was in her element when she would come and visit us because she had grown up in... um, Bundaberg and Alra and so on and, uh, you know, lived under those kind of 19th century conditions. So she'd get there and fire up the wood stove and cook batches of scones and whatever. So, yeah, it was all it was all a bit of fun, all of that. So you did you always know that art was in your blood? I did. And my parents were very worried about me becoming a professional artist. And I remember my father saying to me, um, I think it's a good idea if you can always support yourself because you don't know what's going to happen in this life. You might get married and have kids and your husband could leave you a widow widow, and you, then you'd have to support yourself and so on. So we think maybe you should do teaching to um, you know, have something that will earn a living, which um, I did try for a while. I enrolled for oh, a term, I think, at um, a teacher's college and didn't really like it and um, so I became a librarian okay so where did you um where did you be, um, work as a librarian then I started with the Brisbane City Council Municipal Library Service as a library assistant in 1970 and so I worked at the Annalee and Bulimba libraries and um, then I think probably 1972 I went to the State Library of Queensland and in those days, those halcyon days, you just went to these places and asked them if they'd be interested in giving you a job. <laughs> and they said, well, yes, we would. That's awesome. Can you start on Monday? So, um, yes, yeah, so then I was with the State Library of Queensland in the section that was called the Government Departmental Library. So the State Library ran libraries for all the departments like primary industries and forestry and so on, main roads, whatever. All those departments have got specialist um, libraries for their um, technicians and their scientists and, and so on. So I was moved around to a lot of those, but eventually um, they gave me the Queensland Art Gallery Library, which is what I had always been angling for anyway. So I was the librarian in charge there, um, I think probably from the early 70s uh, through to about 77. And we, at that stage, oh, it was a very tiny staff. There would have been less than a dozen people working for the state gallery. Um, Jim Winnicky was the director and then Raoul Mellish after him. So we were in uh, this old red brick exhibition building concert hall in Gregory Terrace, which is a very old building. And um, after the 74 flood, it had some damage and leaks and so on. And so they moved us uh, 
from 75 to 77 to temporary premises on two floors of the MIM building in Ann Street, which coincidentally is now um, the site for our Brisbane campus of CQ Uni. Mm. So that was interesting. And um, and then um, I was still with the Queensland Art Gallery when they moved to South Bank. They were constructing the new building and so on at that, at that stage. Okay. So... Uh where to from there? How did you actually get into into art curating? Um, I studied uh, art history and history at the University of Queensland and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts. Um, and I had also enrolled at the Queensland College of Art and um, was doing practical subjects like painting, drawing, printmaking, gold and silversmithing and so on. So um, at by this time, I had left um, the library service and and um, gone to university full-time and part-time to the art college for a year in 1978 and finished my degree in 79. So um, first of all, I went back in 1980 to the State Library for a year as their foundation arts librarian. They created this new position of an arts librarian and a second position of a, a music librarian. So I went back and did that. But then um, assistant, two assistant curator positions came up at the Queensland Art Gallery. So I, I applied and um, uh, they thought I was all right. And they knew me, of course, um, from previously working for them. So I joined as assistant curator. And then after a year or two, the curator left and I was promoted and became curator, prints, drawings and photographs. So really, um, I was probably trained on the job, I think you would say. I had um, a practical background in art techniques and um, I was trained as an art historian. But in those days, I don't think, certainly not in Brisbane, there was the possibility of studying um, doing museum studies or curatorship or whatever. I think you can do that nowadays. And probably in those days you could do it in Melbourne, I would think, uh, maybe in Sydney, but certainly it didn't. those sort of courses didn't exist in Brisbane then. So you learnt on the job from more experienced people who had worked at the, at the state um, gallery. And, um, of course, the previous curator of prints and drawings did a lot of training with me about it. But... Um, the cataloguing background as a librarian helped as well because I, I knew how to catalogue things. Um, so, um, yeah. So I did some exhibitions and, and um, publications for the Queensland Art Gallery. And uh, while I was working for them, I got a state government scholarship to do a master's degree at the Courtauld Institute of Art in the University of London. Um, which is a world-renowned um, place for um, art history scholarship and um, so that was 1984 to 85 and um, it, it was a very intense kind of course. I did coursework on Cezanne related to Impressionism and Post-Impressionism and a thesis on British contemporary artist Joe Tilson who had been a notable pop artist in the 60s and uh, we became quite friendly with, with Joe and um, went down and stayed with him in Wiltshire and so on. And um, that was an amazing experience. Um, I had uh, lecturers like John House, who's the renowned um, scholar who's written about um, Monet and Renoir and so on, and um, 
Anthony Blunt was no longer there. He had been the direct director. Remember Anthony Blunt, who was um, a spy for the Russians, so it was always an interesting place, the Courtauld. Uh, anyway, so... Um, uh, so I had married Michael Walker in 82 and a daughter, Billy, was born in 86. So we thought this is an opportunity before she starts school to travel and so on. So we went to England for a few years and Michael pursued a career as a songwriter and I was working as an art consultant for Christie's South Kensington, researching and writing catalogue entries about Western art created outside Europe, so Australia, New Zealand, South America and so on. And um, then uh, in 1990, the beginning of 1990, we returned to Brisbane, absolutely amazed, uh, on the aeroplane to read about someone called the Premier Wayne Goss because it had been Jogi Bielke-Peterson when we left and um, there was all the scandal going on about that government and so on. So, um, yeah, so it was a new era for Brisbane, really, when we got back in the 1990s. And... um, so I became the art critic for the Courier Mail and uh, as a contributor and I would do a weekly exhibition review and then also news stories and features, feature stories. And at the same time, uh, Michael and I ran a private arts consultancy called Graphico Queensland and we worked with regional galleries coordinating exhibitions um, creating websites and uh, some of, we worked on major projects like Blighted Paradise, which was a big exhibition um, for celebrating the Federation uh, anniversary for the Rockhampton Art Gallery and um, North of Capricorn, the art of Ray Crook, which was a huge project for the Perth-Tucker Regional Gallery in Townsville that toured nationally in um, '97. 98, and I wrote a book on the Rockhampton Art Gallery collection. So um, I knew Rockhampton and the art collection, and um, the job came up, and um, I thought, oh, and they asked me, you know, who did I think could apply for it? And I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe me. <laughs> and uh, uh, Michael, my husband, was very dubious about moving to Rockhampton, I have to say. So I went up towards the end of 2001. And he didn't move up initially. He was going to give me a year or two to get sick of it <laughs> and come back to the big smoke. But um, I didn't. And so eventually he moved up. And then Billy, our daughter, uh, had done a year at uni in Brisbane and um, uh, didn't really flourish in all of that. And we said to her, oh, come up here to Rockhampton and see what you think. And she came up as well and really enjoyed it. And subsequently worked for the university in um, marketing and and so on and um, has done a degrees here and is currently a speech therapist student so um, so there you go so what was initially a bit of an experiment turned out to be about 20 years actually being here so um, so I came up as the manager art services and the director of the Rockhampton Art Gallery for the Rockhampton City Council, which meant I managed both buildings and the uh, the Walter Reed Centre and the Rockhampton Art Gallery and the public programs and the, and the staff. And so that was really very busy, uh, almost 10 years, very enjoyable, but, but busy at the same time. Mm. Um, you've spent a lot of time curating other people's work, but you're an artist in your own right. How how do you manage to keep working on your own projects and and do th- what you do for other people as well? Well, 
I always used to just do drawings and paintings and, and things uh, in my own time, not necessarily for public exhibition. You know, I always did that from when I was a child. Um, when you're working as a curator in a, a big gallery like the Queensland Art Gallery or you're the director of a major regional gallery like the Rockhampton Art Gallery, you can't really be also pursuing a career as an exhibiting artist at the same time because there's a bit of a conflict of of interest there and and also you don't have the time you know to to do a job like being the director of a regional gallery is um a really big time commitment it's at least 50 hours a week uh, of work because you're always going to exhibition openings and public events and all, all that sort of thing so uh really uh, around about 2010 i really felt that um i needed to press on and if i was ever going to really um, exhibit publicly and and so on that I needed to focus on it. So I left the Rockhampton Art Gallery and focused on my own painting while also doing other things. And coming to the university, um, it's a different sort of environment, I suppose. The university is more of an environment where people can teach in an area and also pursue that that sort of discipline as a professional, if you know what I mean, so that you would have lecturers in digital communication who maybe make films and so on. So there's less of a perception, I think, of a conflict of of interest there. And also, uh, it's not as busy a role as I've had previously. I'm not uh, running staff and a huge budget and a big exhibitions program and so on. And, And after the restructure that we had in 2013, I've been working four days a week, so, you know, I've got three days a week to paint, which is great. Yeah. How would you describe your own artwork? Um, I'd probably call it narrative paintings, um, so representational rather than abstract. And um, I have sort of er everyman characters. Sometimes they're portraits of actual people, but usually twerked. And... um, the, as you work on these things, they take on a life of their own, so they're sort of like a, a parallel universe. And I did an exhibition, 36 Views of Castle Hill in Townsville, which was um, a bit of a take on Hokusai's 36 Views of Mount Fuji. So Castle Hill is in um, every picture where you sort of see it in the distance and whatever, But and there are very improbable situations happening like... Um, uh, people being a wedding party being dive bombed by the Red Baron joyriding plane that they have up there, and um, uh, someone uh, doing tightrope walking on the telephone wires, and and so on. So it's kind of I think of it as a, a parallel universe, and it's a very enjoyable place to go to. This parallel universe, I sort of get in my studio and. Um, Michael goes off to golf and I say, see ya. (laughs) I put on jazz and listen to jazz and go to my alternative universe, so it's great. Have you got a favourite piece of your own? Um, Well, uh, some pictures come and go. Some pictures that I really liked have gone to public collections now. Um, I've got a portrait of Michael, uh, my husband, as a child um, that I did and I entered in the previous Baton Award um, two years ago, so we will keep that as a as a family picture. So that that's a favourite piece, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, just getting back to the art collection at the university, is it normal for a university to have its own art collection? Yes, pr- particularly the sandstone universities like University of Sydney and Melbourne, and so on. Um, 
those universities have long histories of having art history departments and some of them have art schools attached to them and uh, so art museums, art collections and art museums have kind of grown up. Um, housing them is always a challenge. Um, I remember the um, art collection at um, University of Queensland, which is quite substantial, was housed in um, the sort of top floor of a tower that they had there that was on the Great Court and then eventually they got this major donation that enabled them to convert um, a concert hall, the main hall, into a, an art museum. But, you know, that would have been a $10 million plus project. So it's very expensive to build the buildings and um, it's really those universities that have got billion dollar budgets and, you know, big foundations that can do that. Um, but um, CQ Uni um, has always had an involvement in the arts. It's not necessarily always been a huge teaching era area for them, but uh, from the beginning uh, they were involved with it and um, always saw, this is way back when it was the Capricornia Institute of Advanced Education back in the 70s, they, they've always seen that they've had a role to be patrons of, of the arts and to make a positive contribution to local culture in Rockhampton and wherever else. Um, the university has sites, so... Um, an art collection developed along the way and um, it waxed and waned a little bit and it didn't always have uh, professional oversight. There wasn't, I, I think, always the money probably to pay a staff member. Um, in more recent times, I would think since um, the 2000s, there's been the possibility of employing a curator part-time for two days a week and so on. And So there were a couple of people before me, but... I'm probably the first person that was put on full-time, five days and then four days, but, um, you know, the first person that's really had a lot of hours to put into it in developing the collection and so on. And, um, uh, of course, there was a tremendous amount of support from the Office of the Vice-Chancellor for the art collection and our previous Vice-Chancellor, Scott Bowman, was a great fan of the visual arts. So it doesn't get any better than that when you have that leadership from the top that are really behind what you're doing. Mm. I mean, CQ Uni's collection, it wouldn't be as um, lavish as what some of the sandstone universities in Australia have, but it is still quite substantial. Uh, how do you house such a collection? It's a big challenge, actually. Um, probably about half of the collection is out on loan around the various campuses, um, but it's not always ideal to put things around campuses. You have to be aware of uh, the environmental conditions. Maybe the aircon's not on seven days a week. Maybe it gets turned off over the holidays. Um, maybe there's not a great deal of security of some of those areas. So uh, the very valuable works uh, we would keep in storage here um, on the Rockhampton campus. They're locked away in a basement and bring them out for special exhibitions, particularly, say, public galleries might be doing an exhibition on a certain theme and they ask to borrow a work. So recently, last year, I think, um, the Townsville Gallery did an exhibition on Richard Dunlop, who had given us a major donation of his artworks, including quite one of his quite big paintings. So we lent that picture to them. 
And um, a few years ago, we did a, an exhibition of our collection and lent that to the Rockhampton Art Gallery. So we would continue to do that. And um, we have a major new donation in the pipeline. And I can see an exhibition growing out of that that we could offer to public galleries. Which leads me into my next question. How do you expand um, your items of worth here? <laughs> Well, we, we don't have a huge budget for acquisitions. Um, we do try to buy the award winners for the CQU Creates exhibition and um, if there's money in the budget, uh, we might buy a couple of other works. And um, the other one of the other things we've been doing is uh, developing the Indigenous, Australian Indigenous, Indigenous art collection uh, with a particular focus on acquiring works by artists who live and work in the areas where we teach and where we can artists who are the traditional owners of those areas. So that's been a big push in recent years and um, we've paid for that out of the budget. But the other marvellous thing for us is the Australian Government's Cultural Gifts Program whereby people can make a donation of artworks that they've held for more than 12 months and get uh, a tax deduction of the value of the artwork from their taxable income. So, and you can spread that deduction out over five years. So you can more or less knock out your tax if you know you do, if you've got if you've got a large group of works. So, mm-hmm. um, through my network of contacts, artists and curators and dealers and so on that I've known over thirty years, I've been able to nudge a few people to make those kind of donations. Um, so really, that's how the expansion of the collection significantly in recent years has happened. A bigger emphasis on acquisitions, but a huge amount of donations coming in under the Cultural Gifts Program. The um, collection's actually valued at over $2.4 million at the moment. Um, what would be the most valuable piece that the university has at the moment? Um, probably our John Coburn paintings. We have two John Coburn paintings. He was a, uh, a renowned Australian abstract artist who was uh, originally from Ingham in North Queensland but um, went on to uh, have a, quite a stellar career in Sydney and internationally. Um, and we have a, a Ray Crook painting that was donated recently and... Um, and I think our Australian Indigenous art collection in years to come will be more prominent with this donation that we're um, soon to accept has a number of significant works in that. Um, a few years ago, you helped um, coordinate the first annual um, art competition for the university called CQU Creates. Can you tell us how that came about? Well, it was interesting. Um, in... 2013, was it, when we did the, the merger of the CQ TAFE with the university to become the first dual sector university in Queensland? That meant that we essentially uh, were acquiring an art college. And I thought, isn't this great? How good is that? We now have an art college. And uh, I thought um, an, an interesting event to kind of mark this milestone would be to create an art award uh, whereby the eligible entrants would have to have a connection either with the university or its antecedent institutions, including the Capricornia Institute of Advanced Education and also the CQ TAFE. So it was a way of bringing everyone together and um, a very special art competition that you had to have that link either as a student or a teacher with 
either of those institutions. So um, we did it as an experiment for one year and everyone liked it. And um, so we've kept on doing it. And the exhibition uh, starts in Rockhampton and tours to Mackay, Bundaberg and Gladstone and I think may go to Emerald as well, um, if not this year, maybe the next year. So it's kind of growing. It's an amazing opportunity for emerging artists in the region. It is, and um, it's it's a fun exhibition in that um, we don't put any restrictions on it um, and we encourage people to have a go. So you've got people who you would consider to be professional exhibiting artists who are trained at the CQ TAFE and so on, and um, then we get a lot of people who are um, staff members or students in different areas. We've had scientists and engineers and educators and um, nursing people um, create paintings and um, sculptures and so on and enter the thing, and, um, you know, that's good. It kind of brings... Uh, people along into it so that they're not just passive viewers of of art on the walls, but they, they think, oh, I could have a go at doing that. And, you know, we want to encourage that kind of participation. We're currently in the phase of creation, I, I suppose, for the, for the next competition. Um, can you tell us about the categories that people can enter and who can actually enter? Well, uh, you do need to have that connection with the university or the former CQ TAFE as either a current student or a past student or a current or past staff member. And um, it's not big money. Um, There's an overall art award of $1,500, non-acquisitive, an Indigenous art award for $1,500, a current student award, $500, and a People's Choice award of $500. But then as well, um, generally, we undertake to buy the artworks as well. So the artist has their work purchased and, and they get a cash award as well. And then there's the opportunity that private buyers might buy your work. And that sometimes happens as the exhibition tours around uh, people in the community buy works from the exhibition. And the university, if we're a little bit flush with funds, uh, can often buy a few other works as well. So, so it's an opportunity to get your work out there to have it exhibited to, if you ha- don't have experience as an exhibiting artist, to participate in that kind of uh, event and to get your name known a bit. And what do you think the judges will be looking for this year? Well, um, we always look for a few things. Originality, creativity, uh, aesthetic quality and visual impact of the design and composition, conceptual interest, um, how the artist has interpreted the theme and skill in the application of materials or media or digital technology. And you can do what you like um, as a subject um, and in any visual arts medium, but there are some size restrictions on works that go up on the wall, so no greater than 105 centimetres in any direction. And if it's a 3D work, not not very big and heavy, so because often I have to physically <laughs> handle these things by myself, get them down off the plinths and off the wall. So um, as I am vertically challenged, it has to be not too big and too heavy. Um, yeah, so there's that. And um, so we have had um, a number of um, little films and music clips that people have put in as well as um, 
paintings and sculptures and uh, jewellery. Uh, jewellery is um, uh, an area of excellence that's taught at our um, Rockhampton City campus. We have Lisa Gaze, who is uh, a stellar um, jeweller, and so she's got this legacy of all these wonderful students going through, so they enter their works and... Um, and um, painting we have um, Pat Connor of course who's been teaching there for for many years so um, they've been teaching art at our Brisbane campus for a hundred years at least (laughs) I would think and they do it very well so there's a big pool of people who've gone through that kind of training um, that are studying with us and and so on and um, creating works for us and then as I say um, other people from all sorts of backgrounds all over Australia. So our, we've had international students enter, Russian students who were at our Sydney and Melbourne campuses and so on. So it's, it's always interesting. When um, are you cutting off the nominations for the competition? Well, what I ask people to do, if um, they live outside Rockhampton, really they can enter their works now if they want to. They can send them up to me now and I'll just hold them. For people in Rockhampton which is and the Rockhampton area, which is where we get the bulk of the entries, um, we have submission days on the 31st of May and the 1st of June. So that's a Friday and Saturday. So people are to bring in their artworks then. So that's the, the cutoff. But I don't really want stacks of artworks from Rockhampton people before that because, you know, there's no way of, of handling them or, or storing them really. So um, so that's what we're doing. And in previous years, it's been held in the foyer of Building 5, the Arthur Appleton building, but there is a change this year. We're doing it in it's the old Birdcage Bar Level 1, Building 36. So Building 36, which is a big change. I know another project that you've been working on lately is an Indigenous art book. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and um, what you hope to achieve through that book? Um, I suppose the impetus for that really was the previous Pro Vice-Chancellor of Indigenous Engagement, Bronwyn Fredericks, who had a particular interest in the visual arts and when the university embarked a couple of years ago on a reconciliation action plan, um, there were a number of actions that Bronwyn put in place and one of the things she wanted to see was a book on Indigenous art uh, in our collection. So really that was why um, we were doing it and the collection had been growing over the past few years. So it's still small. We only have 55 works at the moment that are by Australian Indigenous artists, but there are some nice things in there. And um, so that was the impetus for doing it. And so we've just completed it, uh, 81 pages featuring 25 artists, um, all sorts of diverse work from people doing um, uh, wood carvings and bark paintings in Arnhem Land to um, artists working in Cairns, um, Torres Strait Islander printmakers, um, artist Gail Marbo, who's a descendant of Koiki Marbo in Townsville, uh, people in Rockhampton, Gladstone. So we tried to get artists in most of the sites where we teach. Um, uh, so we have represented, I suppose, artists from everywhere except Tasmania, except that one artist from the Victorian era has a background as having Tasmanian Indigenous heritage. But 
that's the one area that we don't really focus on so much, Tasmania, because we don't teach there, I suppose, and Northern Territory. Just looking into the future, um, what are your plans personally um, for your own art um, artworks or, um, or your plans for the future at the university here? Well, I, I think I'll keep going at the university as long as I'm able to and, and um, they want to put up with me because um, I enjoy it um, and uh, just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, the past few years I've been entering art competitions, which is which is interesting. So um, I'm hopeful of winning the Archibald Prize one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you have a quiet moment at home, are you painting? Yes, yeah, usually. During during the week um, I do the shopping and the housework and so on and, and then Friday to Sunday I just paint, mm. mostly, except uh, interruptions from the grandchildren. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Sue, for coming and joining us on The Grapevine. We've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you, Priscilla. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.